presenting the Village Headmaster podcast with Moezy and Whimsy. What up, what up, what up? It's your boy Moezy. Whimsy here. Shout out to my people worldwide. This is the Village Headmaster podcast. What's up, bro? NBA season, fast approaching. Bro, I- I'm excited. I think Kyrie's about to ruin my high, though. We'll see. Uh, from from everything that we've heard, Kyrie don't want to play. Oh, hey, and he wants nobody else to play. Uh, we'll talk about that. It's another episode of the VH Podcast. Uh, again, shout out to all our listeners. We appreciate you. Um, we have a great episode lined up for you today. At some point, we will be joined by a friend of the show, uh, Simone. And uh, we have an interesting conversation with her about some of the important stuff going on in society today. And we hope that uh, you will find that illuminating and entertaining. Uh, We're going to start off talking about uh, arguably our favorite subject, right? The NBA. And in light of the pandemic, we've had uh, a stoppage in sports. Most of our lives, quote unquote, have been on hold, right? Uh, But there are rumors that uh, the NBA will restart the end of July. And uh, uh, there's been some reaction to that 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 restart. So, Wemsy, NBA to restart, yes or no? Loving it, loving it. I I think uh, sports uh, uh, help. Uh, uh, I'm gonna say the whole nation, not just by providing uh, distraction or entertainment. I, I think it helps people. Uh, uh, by inspiring him and uh, watching uh, watching uh, the best at the world actually perform their craft. Uh, so uh, I'm excited for sports. Uh, you know, uh, I, I've read, you know, comments on should it start, should it not start. I think uh, we need to start opening back our economy and sports is one major way to actually uh, signal to, to the world that uh, America is uh, gradually uh, opening up for business. And in light of you know recent events around the world, uh, I would argue it's uh, it's uh, it's a good way to help people heal. And uh, uh, and I'm sure athletes are going to use this platform to further amplify the message. So it's a win-win-win all around from my point of view. So for those folks who don't know what the plan is, the plan is for 22 teams. There are 30 teams in the NBA, so they're going to have eight teams not not even bother to play. For 22 teams, 16 of those were in the playoff positions, and the remaining uh, six, yeah, if I did my math right, remaining six <laughs> will join them in Orlando. I think it's Disney World, Disneyland, whatever it is. And they'll play a few regular season games, and then whoever ends up in the top eight positions on either side will then go off in the playoffs. And they'll have the regular playoffs with... Best of seven, all, all four rounds. So um, initially the plan was for it to start in July. And uh, more recently, there have been rumors that a large number of players, 40, 50 of the players who are on those teams don't want to play. The, the big name that we know is Kyrie, right? And Kyrie has argued that uh, playing basketball will take away from um, some of the social justice initiatives and the protesting and the push for a change in our society that we are currently going through. I disagree, right? I think that, like you said, having the players out there, 
in a public sphere with the eyes of the world on them will give them an opportunity to continue to push and push that message and remind people of how important it is two i think it's a little selfish on Kyrie's part because he's a superstar right he's made millions and he may be able to go without getting a check for months at a time what about the 13th guy on the roster who makes the veterans minimum who needs a check to to you know to pay his mortgage and to to pay all his bills and to take care of his wife and kids or if not his multiple girlfriends whatever it is right what about him whimsy am i being unreasonable and expecting Kyrie to understand that guy's plight i, I think Kyrie's uh being selfish not just for those reasons but the Nets aren't even in the playoffs. <laughs> so so Kyrie was not even going to show up in Orlando to, to begin with. So why does he have a point of view and why is he trying to gather a uh, critical uh, mass of individuals uh, against like playing? Because the Nets are not relevant this season. Uh, Kevin Durant has publicly stated he's not going to play. So if your team is not in contention and you're not part of the select few that are gathering in, in, in this act, when you come out and, and you voice like you know stronger you know opposition it, it just begs the fact you're not affected you already have the cash like you pointed out why take tr- such a strong stance and try to rally people so if your team is not in the playoffs just be quiet uh individuals that are actually taking on that risk can make decisions for themselves so that's where i think uh Kyrie is overstepping and uh yeah i understand he is uh he's a vp of uh the, the nba basketball players association but i think chris paul uh, uh i read that he's had conversations with adam silver he's had conversations with bob Iger, uh the chairman of uh, disney former ceo and uh, the NBA would not risk uh, the livelihood of uh, its greatest assets, which are its players, to put on a show. So I would imagine uh, they're talking to policy experts. They're talking to, uh, to, to the to, to, to government. And they're also talking to, like, you know, Disney that's actually hosting, you know, the, 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 the entire uh, playoffs just to better understand how they could you know, reduce exposure and make sure that uh, players and, you know, their families are safe. So uh, trust the process. Uh, sports will have to open at some point. Uh, all indications so far say, you know, we're going to have a, some sort of vaccine or some sort of, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to call it, uh, you know, medicine to help uh, tackle COVID uh, at some point in the spring. So are we going to say, you know, uh, sports does not come back from now until then? And we're hoping and praying that, you know, phase three trials for all these medicines, uh, actually, uh, these vaccines actually go well. So I think it's missing the point. Uh, we see sports in, in, in Europe. Uh, Real Madrid just, just had a game. So there have been ways to actually bring back sports without compromising health, safety. And I, I think uh, Kyrie is, is just he's not seeing the big picture here. And, and so not to pile on Kyrie, I... I, I, I get it. You know, it's a, it, it is an emotional time and a lot of people are dealing with the trauma of what's going on with regard to police brutality, systemic racism and things along those lines, but not carrying on with some aspects of our lives may not necessarily be helpful. Uh, Kyrie's also injured. He's out for the season, so he's not playing. He's not even he's not even a factor. His team may make the playoffs. I think will be in the picture, but he's not he's not even uh, individually not a factor. 
the other thing is the, the I feel like like you mentioned the NBA is going to take so many steps to make sure that from a, an infection standpoint that folks are safe for one they're going to be sequestered and I think the plan is for every player to be tested every day think about that that is every single day a player gets tested which I wager with somebody that that would never happen and it looks like I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to lose that wager, right? So that that's pretty impressive, right? So that if you test positive at any point and you're taken off off the team or not off the team, but you're not allowed to play or you're sequestered, things along those lines. So, so I, I think that, again, for me, playing is so important. And then you have to factor in like all the employees of the team, forget the players who for the most part, make a ton of money. What about the athletics training staff, the 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 video guy? You know, right now, who knows if they're getting a check or if they're getting a check that's what they're they're used to getting. So there there's so many livelihoods that are involved in in going back to work. So not going back to work, while the reason might be valid because uh, the issue is important, is not necessarily the best step. Again, the issue I think can still be addressed appropriately even while the guys still play it might even be helped by them being on the court so Kyrie yeah we disagree I, I get the sense that Kyrie is a cynical fella and some of it is just healthy distrust of uh systems uh, yeah. team owners yeah but uh LeBron is for it LeBron has formed a nonprofit called More Than a Vote that's actually tackling you know voter suppression in the black community and LeBron has said he can do that and still play. You're not even playing. So it, it, use your, your platform to go in the street and, and tackle, you know, uh, the issues. Uh, but don't don't try to prevent, you know, LeBron that's, you know, trying to help uh, uh, with, you know, amplify, like, using basketball itself, but also forming, like, an organization. Because if you're not participating at that scale I, I don't think you, you should come out and, and just you know uh dissent and publicly go against like what what uh i would argue will benefit the majority of uh, uh sports fans bro lebron just watched that jordan documentary man he trying to win a title this year man <laughs> stop playing <laughs> you're looking at Kyrie like what's wrong with you man like I gotta catch this guy man so I can do my own documentary in 10 years <laughs> LeBron's like look I don't have another year to waste I wasted last year nah man LeBron, LeBron wants to play and I think they should they should let them play I hope it happens um, did you get a chance to see that uh, your boy Trump uh, apparently is a fan of the HBO show Insecure. Disclaimer on my boy Trump, even before <laughs> I, I respond to that. <laughs> I was trying to see if you let that slide. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, no, I, uh, I I heard about it, and uh, yeah, apparently, uh, I'm not sure if I deliberately uh, liked the tweet or if he actually watches the show, but it's interesting. It's interesting. Nah, he doesn't watch that show, man. Let me tell you what happened. He was he was probably searching Twitter about tweets about himself because this is what happened right S someone a fan of the show whose handle appears to be black lives matter that's like their their twitter screen name tweeted something about the show about something that happened in an episode 
And there's a, a like from Trump's official Twitter account. Now, this is the only tweet his, his account has ever liked. It's the very first one and the only one. So people notice it, even Issa Rae, the creator of the show. So this is my take. Trump was looking for tweets about him or about Black Lives Matter and himself. Because you know he cares about people's opinions, you know. It was probably there on his bed late at night just scrolling through and then accidentally hit the like button and he realized that he hit the like button. Probably still doesn't really realize it till now. That's what happened. Yeah, isn't it interesting that we rely on Twitter to actually get a pulse of uh, where people stand on issues these days? Well, I don't know if that's actually because you can get a sense of where of what people think about an issue um, by looking at Twitter. But some of that may be a bit skewed because your feed often just reflects, right, based on the algorithm reflects, you know, people who may think like you, right? So I think, you know, we got to take that with a grain of salt. If you're going by just, you know, your feed or, or you know, tweets that are, are come on your timeline, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? So Yeah, that, 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 that's interesting. Yeah, because if you flip over to like, I don't know, Trump's account, right? And you scroll through the comments, all the replies to his tweets, you'll get a good mix, of course. But let's say you find a supporter of Trump, right? And you click on their feed and you look at all their tweets, you'll think that you're in a different world. Like the things they retweet, the news sources they quote, like uh, the things they celebrate are so different from a lot of the other stuff that I'll sometimes see on somebody else who's you know, are, you know, like an avid uh, Trump antagonist or a non-supporter. So I think sometimes, you know, your, your feed is a, is more a reflection of other people. You follow what they think and, uh, and group think sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Spot on, spot on. Uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, cause you know, I hear a lot of mainstream media, so, uh, maybe, uh, the way to actually find out the real scoop is just, uh, to go to Twitter and not rely on anyone, uh, you know, uh, you know, being the moderator of what you, you get to ingest. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, uh, <laughs> um, maybe you should watch Fox news, man. You get another perspective. <laughs> Do you even know where Fox is on your TV? You know what you're doing? <laughs> uh, I, I I try to I try to read uh, to, to get my news. So uh, I, I try to you know just control the content and not you know be I, I'm going to call it fall for sensationalism. So uh, so I, I try to be mindful of that. Fair enough. All right. We're going to segue into our conversation with Simone. Again, Simone is a friend of the show. She's been on the pod several times, and she brings a unique perspective to some of the issues uh, we are dealing with currently in society. And uh, leading into uh, that that segment, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. once said, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and cruelty by the bad people, but the silence over that by the good people. I encourage uh, all of our listeners to find a way to get engaged uh, with uh, 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 systemic racism. And, and I would also encourage uh, uh, broad support for Black Lives Matter. All right, folks, it's the V8 podcast. Uh, we're back and uh, we have a return guest. 
a friend of the show, uh, who we haven't had on for for a minute. We're, we're glad to have her back, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are glad to have her back. Um, please uh, join us in welcoming Simone. Hey guys. Hello. How you been? Back. Yeah. Glad to have. I'm good. I'm good. Life is interesting. We're all aging. We're all getting older. Hopefully, more mature. I think she just said we were immature the last time she talked about this. <laughs> Did I? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, she, was, she was referring to you, Mo. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, Simone just kindly reminded us that uh, it's been uh, over a year since we had her last on the pod, so... Uh, Welcome back. Uh, it's like riding a bicycle, you know, so uh, we'll just pick up where we left off. Right. You mean like the whole talking thing is like a riding riding bicycle? Be- being on this pod. I see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I understand that the last time we had you on, uh, uh, it was, you know, to, to talk about heavy, uh, I'm going to call it a uh, heavy, uh, heavy hearted, uh, discussions and conversations. And yeah, and we have, uh, we're faced with another one and, you know, we, we thought it'd be good to just, you know, get your perspective and just catch up on, you know, uh, recent events and, uh, uh, and particularly how, uh, we can actually craft some solutions, uh, to improve our society and our community specifically so uh yeah uh and obviously uh appreciate you know your point of view and transparency and candor and uh yeah i, I think it's gonna be fun let's see <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh so, we'll jump so, right so, in. so society is you know is interesting as you said right so much has been going on the last few weeks have been very, very strong reminders of the institutional racism, of the issues with police brutality, which kind of fall under that subject header as well. And, and so many other things on top of the pandemic that 2020 has thrown our way. So, Simone, I want to give you an opportunity to vent, to, to, to get things off your chest a little bit for the benefit of our listeners. Um, what overall would you say has has stood out to you in the midst of everything with Breonna Taylor, with George Floyd, um, with Ahmed Aubrey, like those three things have come more recently. What to you would be the, the most important takeaway point from all those things? Well, obviously this stuff is deeply personal, right? So I can already speak to my experience and I, I can tell you the thing that I've been thinking about these last couple of days is how there seems to have been a collective awakening awakening in this country to, to this issue and how it's just really confusing because six months ago Black Lives Matter was this controversial statement which I never quite understood like we're talking about just saying hey Black Lives have value and they have Black people have humanity and like, let's acknowledge that, let's value that, let's allow for that to be seen. And and now Black Lives Matter has become almost mainstream 
people are cool wearing shirts and bracelets and zoom backgrounds and to me it's just this this radical shift in perspective whether it's sincere or not has been very confusing and I think part of me wants to be really optimistic and say hey this is what we've been waiting for for hundreds of years and then the other part of me is like it's just a campaign and it's temporary and as soon as the intensity of this dies down we're going to be back to the same sort of lack of understanding and lack of interest and I think we're just in a very unique time because of the intersection of this pandemic and people actually having the time to be outside and to protest and at the same time being in this collective trauma around you know the world around us becoming a threat and on one layer and then and then the other experience of being a black person and that being a threat and it's just I think I've just been trying to make sense of how it all fits together but I can tell you that like this this recent awakening or whatever you want to call it um, in larger society has just been very disorienting what word would you use to describe I, I'd say like your uh, mindset right now and this mental frame of mind is it is it a sense of relief is it exhausted is it a combination of both where are you at this point maybe hard to believe but I've always been a pretty sensitive person in the sense that I pick up a lot of information about people around me and how how they're feeling what they're doing and in that sense it's been absolutely exhausting because everyone around me is in some kind of crisis and but the other part of it is that of course I'm hopeful that this will shift the experience of our people and I think it's allowed for conversations that haven't happened before or at least not in this capacity I think you know there's all these things that we're now as a, as a collective as a country suddenly considering like we're having conversations around basic universal income right which that was like oh look at you listen to those lunatics thinking about like that like that was not something that was on the table um suddenly the conversation around reparations is resurfacing that was like oh no way we're never going to do that we're talking about you know how do we bring equity to to the marketplace to companies i think it was like dozens of companies that released some kind of statement on their perspective on black lives which is like if anyone would have told you this a few weeks ago, you would have been like, no way, that's never going to happen. Not in a million years is that ever going to happen, right? So I think I'm hopeful in the sense that there's a number of conversations that are now on the table or a number of issues that are now on the table that weren't before. That makes me reluctantly optimistic. As far as my personal experience is concerned with people around me, it's very dra- draining to see so many people in crisis and, and to see so many people in pain but for me for me like as my individual contribution and what i can say i'm responsible for i feel a very strong stewardship of my community and so i'm not necessarily out there protesting on the streets but i'm investing in my people to see how i can use this as a way to 
help generate solutions, help generate ideas that will help, help support people. Um, and for those who are ready to take action and those who, who are ready to be champions in their companies and in their, in their communities to see what I can do in order to support their efforts. Yeah, uh, recently I've uh, uh, noticed and received uh, just a tremendous amount of, I'm going to call it allyship around, you know, this uh, topic of racial injustice. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the consideration is, you know, uh, helping people experience, you know, uh, your point of view, having not lived it. How have you been able to do that? I'm very selective about who I share this information with. I'm not, yes, a number of folks have reached out and I appreciate the intention. I've also seen a lot of performative allyship, which is really about getting attention and validation and support. It's not really about centering us and our experience. So I'm very selective about who I share my experience with because it takes a lot of energy and it takes an investment on my part in order to transmit that experience. And I just don't feel like just anybody should have access to that or should have an insight to that. So I think I've, I've selected people that I either really trust deeply or that have asked me a question that I thought was original or interesting or engaging, but I'm not sharing anything like on a blanket scale. Like every time somebody asks me, I'm like, okay, this is how I'm really doing because I don't have the, I don't just don't have the energy for that. And I think if you've never demonstrated any kind of care or consideration towards me before, I'm probably not going to buy it now. I agree that. How have you two reacted to that? Like, yeah. So, um, to go back to your earlier point, I agree that there there definitely is a, a very palpable shift in terms of our society's appreciation of the issue of racial injustice. And in, in terms of my personal experience, I, I do I have noticed that there are people who seem to have become more vocal in terms of of their thoughts about uh, racial injustice, your thoughts about societal inequity, and 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 that has been comforting. I do feel like the folks who I know who are on the other extreme end of the spectrum, I haven't seen those folks even move to the middle. The people who I feel have been have shown that they are allies or they have gained some understanding of the issues that have been on the table for so long. Are those people who are either passively sort of su- passive supporters of the movement or maybe somewhere in the middle centrists, right? And they have become more vocal and have shown sort of a great understanding of some of these issues that we've been talking about. For example, Black Lives Matters is not some, some, uh, you know, some, 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 some phrase to indicate that nobody else matters. You know, that simple statement which for some was so hard to understand. I've seen some people gain a bit of an understanding there. Um, 
I I am I'm very personal, so um, I can't say that I've had so many people come up to me and tell me that ah, I'm on your side or I understand things. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about our future. I'm hopeful about people, you know, taking action to sort of make this shift something that lasts for a long time and is is definitely a, a, a timestamp where we say things have become better. Um, I, I'm optimistic. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and just to, to add on, uh, I'm encouraged at the the level of engagement around this topic by people not in, in, within the, the black community, and even within the black community, which you know uh, consists of like you know uh, everyone that's you know a, a descendant of from like the original uh, 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 slaves today. And immigrants have also seen, you know, more engagement on that front as well. So uh, I, I think everyone recognizes that, you know, this is, uh, I'm going to call it like an inflection point. And in my, you know, uh, estimate, it's it's like, uh, it's the civil rights movement happening again, but with, uh, uh, I, I'd say like a different ask. So the civil rights movement was, you know, pushing for equality and and now I, I think we've realized that we even after that uh, I, I think it was uh, I think it was Kamala Harris that said what people have you know are not realizing is that every generation has to relitigate like the, their own civil rights so just because it happened in the past does not mean you know everyone just you know sits down that these institutions you have to all bring it up again and we re- relitigate any past injustices that were not corrected or addressed in that last time and whatever's cropped up since. And I think that's where we are right now. And, you know, similar to, you know, uh, the same sentiment uh, both of you have shared, uh, getting tremendous support and, you know, I've been on, you know, different conversations around this topic and, and one is, you know, trying to figure out how to actually channel people's energy in the right direction where they can actually further uh, 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 Black Lives Matter or just tackle racial injustice. So I, I think that's the biggest takeaway that, you know, as you know, for, for, from my point of view for the last from the last two or two to three weeks. And I'm hoping, you know, long after the protests, you know, wind down that there's a concrete agenda that we can point back to and say, you know, develop from all of uh, the activation that's happening right now. I think we all have an opportunity to build an agenda like that for our own lives and figure out how do I use my position, my power, my influence to make a material change, right? Like I, I grew up in Switzerland. I, I I had good education. I have a safety net in my family. Um, I'm light skinned. Like I have many privileges, even as a black person. And so I feel I have a responsibility to use my position to try and make things better for other folks. And my primary way of doing that has been working with young people of color, working to you know influence the leadership um at my jobs to try and make changes to the way that we do things in a way that will benefit black people but 
I think it's not just about what's happening at the macro scale. I think it's thinking about how we as individuals in our arenas of influence try to make a difference. And I think all of us have the opportunity to do that in some capacity. No doubt, uh, Simone, I, uh, I agree with you. I think uh, we have our unique abilities and our spheres of influence. And I think the first step is recognizing that and understanding that on an individual basis, we can make small differences. Our workplaces, our local communities, even family members who maybe don't uh, understand what they can do um, um, on their own in order to make a difference. And I think it starts from there. I think having a big picture uh, uh, mindset is also helpful, um, but I think greater impact will probably be felt on an individual basis. Um, all those things you mentioned are, are uh, commendable, of course, and I think that, um, like, like for me, you know, um, I have I have a family that is Nigerian that lives on the continent, and there's a there's a few of them that I, I feel don't fully understand what it means to be black here in America. I think some of them are of the opinion that, well, because, well, you know, stop making excuses, quote unquote, or whatever a cliche um, uh, you've heard uh, non-blacks or people who are not African-American or people who don't understand the ex black experience here, whatever cliches are thrown out there. And I think that, you know, the, I feel like the, the burden is on me to at least make a really good attempt to try to, to bring them to a level of understanding that uh, is appropriate. And I might fail, um, and, and maybe it's, it's not my burden, but I feel like I at least got to try. So that's part of the individual responsibility that I, I'm going to take upon myself. Do you feel like there's been more solidarity from African people folks on the continent towards black people in the US since all of this? Like what what is your sense of like how how their understanding or how their opinion may have changed? I think overall, yes. I think overall most um, Africans especially definitely those in the diaspora and even more so on the continent have a greater appreciation of of the experience here and over the last several weeks i think the level of support the fact that uh, we have so much in common and that there's a shared heritage and and our futures are intertwined i think that has been made obvious in social media and and even in you know my personal interaction with folks um, as with anything, there are outliers, right? There are people who just don't get it and some of them never will. Uh, but overall, I'd say yes, that the uh, level of solidarity is definitely uh, on the up. That's that's my sense of things. Yeah, and uh, I've seen protests actually in Lagos uh, stemming from uh, uh, the brutal killing of uh, George Floyd. So uh, we've been, uh, I'm, I'm actually seeing visible demonstrations of uh, support uh, from uh, folks on the continent, which is, you know, unheard of, or something that I haven't seen in the past. Uh, what, what, what I, uh, I'm also, you know, uh, strongly advocating for is, you know, just 
getting everyone to realize that you know this is going to take a collective effort uh, that spans not just you know uh, donating, uh, not just voting, but also educating people. And uh, and I think you know we're, we're getting to to better understand that uh, local elections are almost as important as presidential elections. And you know uh, the the mayor, the police chief, those uh, decisions are made on a local level. And I think people. Uh, from, from, you know, conversations that, you know, I've been part of, you know, they didn't realize that, you know, those elections are as the stakes are as high as anything else. And so it's not, you cannot vote in one, you know, primary and sit out the next one. I think it's all the way in all the time. And uh, uh, the, the other piece that I, I think has been telling is, you know, just uh, the uh, perspective of law enforcement and, uh I think more people are beginning to realize the inequities around policing and uh, how that's manifesting in, in our communities. I was watching this one clip from uh, this series that uh, Oprah was, uh, this conversation Oprah was driving and they had, uh, I think his name was Charles Blow. And he said something pretty uh, interesting. He said, you know, the safest neighborhoods are not the most police neighborhoods. The safest neighborhoods are the neighborhoods with uh, most resources, and I, that that was the most succinct way of explaining that you know sometimes more policing is not the problem. Better schools are the problem. Uh, the ways to solve this, uh, uh, you know, uh, access to good uh, jobs, access to good you know healthcare, and so on and so forth, and just infrastructure and building that. So instead of you know putting more cops in the street, maybe it's after school programs or parks. So I, I think now different individuals are, are coming together to figure out how can we tackle this problem. And I think it's going to take, a, I'm going to call it a multi-layered strategy, but it's getting the right attention. And what we need to do is just keep this conversation going so nothing uh, slips long after the protests wind down. This idea that like somehow crime is related to race is absolutely ludicrous and makes no sense is it related to po poverty absolutely right like all poor people i would say all poor communities probably have an issue with crime not because they're inherently bad people but because of a lack of opportunity and a lack of resources and you know if you want you and your family to survive you're gonna take the measures you need to try and to try and do that so and yes, you know, communities of color tend to be disproportionately poor. But this idea that this idea is still alive, that somehow black people are more criminal and that like policing their neighborhoods and harassing them more often is going to solve any any kind of issue. It's just really um, it's saddening and it's frustrating. And so I think there's an opportunity in this movement to defund police and to restructure the way that communities are resourced around safety that that could actually bring some some reasonable shifts to like how these communities are supported and not just from this like deficit oriented like there's something wrong with you and we need to monitor you but like how do we give you the support that you need in order to you know, reduce the risk of you having to find other avenues to take care of your basic needs.
can we talk about defunding the police for a second? Can we take a little bit of a deep dive into that? I think we all agree that police reform is important. I I think that the, the term defunding the police, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm no expert on this. I think that it is, uh, while I agree with the idea, I think that using that phrase is going to scare some people off. I feel like the tagline should be police reform because defunding the police to those who don't know any better sounds like abolish the police, get rid of it completely or or something that extreme. And, and while that may be part of the idea, again, I'm no expert on this, um, I feel like there are people, as they tend to do, who will jump on that and use that as a tagline to rally uh, people who will just have no inclination towards supporting the movement and say, oh, they're trying to get, just like they're trying to take your guns, they're trying to take away your police officers, trying to, trying to take away your protection. So I feel like from a, a, a presentation standpoint, uh, the movement deserves a better tagline. What are y'all's thoughts? I feel like the people who have an issue with the term defund police because they haven't looked into it are the same. Are, that's like the all lives matter crowd. That's like the crowd that's like, oh, you know, BLM is a is a terrorist group. I mean, like, I just, I'm, I don't have the patience for that. I, I feel like we've been talking about reforming the police for decades, and I don't think I don't think we can reform the police. I think we can diminish police violence by reducing its contact between you know the public um, and the police, but. There was not a single era in the United States where the police hasn't enacted violence against black people. Like not since the not since the slave patrols. You know what I mean? So this idea that we can change the the DNA of of the police with reform, like it's not like people haven't tried this. It's not like there hasn't been an effort to do that. Like we're not the first ones to figure out that like the relationship between police and its community can be problematic. But do white communities ever p- complain about the police? I don't think so. That's because they never see them. <laughs> right? So where I grew up, nobody was scared of the police because we never saw them. You know? So I think it's like, I think it's naive to think that we're going to get more support just because we changed the words to something that people are comfortable with. People couldn't get comfortable with Black Lives Matter. Like somehow they turned that into a controversial statement. So... I don't really have the patience for like mincing words. And yes, de- defunding the police may be a little bit confusing, but all it takes is for you to do a Google search and maybe learn a little bit more than just like the two words. So I feel like people need to take some responsibility to, to understand the issue and not jump to conclusions. Like we're going to have no more police ever, ever again. Like there will be no law, there will be no order. People just going to be running these streets, doing whatever they want. Come on. You know that there is a segment of society that believes that. Um, And of course, we know there are, again, we know who they voted for. We know where they get their news from. There is a segment of society that believes that. And it's unfortunate. But your your points are very valid. You think they're going to change their minds because you use different words? (laughs) Not really. Maybe 1% 1 of that group. 1%. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I, I think uh, uh, for for the individuals that who you know align themselves to defunding the police, they're gonna get the message. For the individuals that, regardless of how you phrase it, uh, it's law and order. They're not. They're not gonna go for it. So I, I, I think uh, uh, the audience is different, uh, and you know, I, I don't. I, you know, but 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 Mo, you do bring up a good point. I, I think. Uh, you know, I, I've always argued that, you know, Dems are not the best at marketing their ideals or, you know, uh, uh, I feel like the right tends to, you know, get people out to vote with fear. And uh, Dems try to appeal to logic and, you know, try to, you know, explain it in, in plain facts. And uh, I, and I, I think that's, you know, uh, where sometimes... Uh, uh, the messages land flat because uh, when you know uh, you hear like uh, uh, individuals on the right use literally fear of immigrants, fear of uh, losing your job, fear across different parameters, and they use it to rally people. Uh, it just they, they're able to get people to the polls, and I, I, I think we come with stats and we come with data, and we say you know. You know, COVID is impacting uh, 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 disproportionately. You know, the, the black community, twenty thousand. You know, out of uh, over hundred thousand deaths, you know, one fifth are African American. We we lead with stats, and we need to find that balance where uh, we need to be able to like just market it. Reasoning and populism. <laughs> yeah, so we we need to figure out a way to to you know uh, get the, the the individuals that you know. Are not you know uh, uh, going to rally around like the stats or the data? Just we want you to go out and vote. What do we need to tell you to do that? And just and just give it and make our message more relevant uh, to the audience. For sure. I mean, I think the the right has sort of their their slogans and um, you know lots of feelings, lots of drama see how like maybe if you're not a critical thinker that's very appealing lots but of nicknames you're, you're, you you're on the win you're on the winning side you know everybody loves the winner we gotta we gotta you know pick up the folks who are not critical thinkers they're out there and their votes count um and and their allyship uh is not going to hurt so i think that sometimes we have to we, we can't give people too much credit for having the ability to look stuff up and understand terms. They'll, they'll go with whatever they're fed and, and, and maybe a minority of that population we get. But at this point, every vote is going to count. Every ally will, will make a difference. So I, I think it's worth considering. Um, but okay. what I tell you won't work for the Dems, though, is a bunch of senators... Uh, wearing uh Ghanaian tradition wear uh, over their necks. Oh my god. I, I, I don't that was that was one of the worst ideas I've ever seen executed. But I'll tell you who we I blame. I'll tell you who I blame. I, I know that it was well I shouldn't say I know. I shouldn't say this like I know definitively. But I know some 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 black person, some Democrat thought it'd be a good idea. And I feel like the the non black Senators were like, all right, well, we're going to show solidarity. This might come off good. They may have had their doubts, but none of them had the, the confidence to be like, nah, I think this is a bad idea because they're like, we're just going to lean in. And if you say this is cool, 
We're going to do it. And I blame the black folks who were there for not telling them, don't do this. This is stupid. <laughs> it was a clown show. <laughs> it was a clown show. It's like one of those things that like, like the white people do it in like a, a, a comedy movie that you're watching and you're just like cringing and you're just like, oh God. But you don't think that anybody would ever do that in real life. I, 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 I'm wondering why they didn't give, you know, one of my boys that, that contract to, to get the, <laughs> to, to get the scarf for Congress. Uh, that, 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 so, so, so we, we, we can partake in, in some of that. <laughs> I, I saw the pictures and, uh, yeah, you know. It's just uh, so weird. It was really weird. Yeah. So, uh, who do you think came uh, up with the idea though? So, who, who do you think came up with the idea? Who do you think it was? A staffer on who's somebody who saw office. someone. They, they saw somebody at a graduation with like the sash, and they were like, "Oh, let's do that. Let's do the same thing." You know how the black people at the graduation they wear like the thing. You know the thing. You know they they wear like the thing. We should do that. Because uh, so, they will know that we support them. So you know, me, me and Mo, me and Mo, we've been talking about doing, uh, making this pod a video pod. I think we should get hats of Kente. <laughs> <laughs> you're a Nigerian. I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, it's, it's all West African, man. <laughs> you you don't respect the Joloff. You can't have the Kente. Uh. Yeah, just take a knee. Like, do away with it. Just take a knee. That's enough, man. That's enough. Like, this is so stupid. Uh, I don't know. It would have been even worse if they hadn't, if they were just wearing, like, the cloth, you know? Like, imagine they were, like, not even wearing suits. Yeah, what wearing, if they like, put on, like, the whole, the whole garment? <laughs> that would have been the worst. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that would have been irredeemable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Simone. So, solutions. What do you, we talked about personal responsibility, which I think we all agree is a good starting point. So, what other suggestions are out there that would you make to to folks in terms of what they can do on top of some of those individual steps you outlined? I think I would say this at any time, not even necessarily related to this, but you know, if you're in a position to hire folks, like. There's always a talented black person because we work a billion times harder to get to the same position. Make an effort to to make sure that folks have access, you know, um, to open positions. Invest in your networks. Invest in like professional organizations that are focused on black people. Invest in the employee resource groups at your job. You know, like take opportunity of the things that you have access to like immediately um, if you're in a position to financially support folks who they're a little bit of money or a little bit of a few dollars away from being able to do the next thing they need to do like support them there I think like on a personal level that's where I would that's where I would um, say it's important but also, like, if you're in a, in a position to mentor someone or to sponsor someone at your company, you know, I think that's another avenue to really take seriously and say, you know, I'm in a position of power. 
I'm in a senior role, I'm going to have people that I mentor and support and hope, you know, can follow in my footsteps. Um, convince your leadership, can convince the folks that you are close to that they need to be investing in this, that they need to make an investment in changing the systemic aspects of the company, not just like put on a Black Lives Matter background, but really invest in like changing the systems. I think we can all have an impact there if we work collectively. But all that to say that I also think that it, the primary responsibility lies with, you know, white folks and, and the dominant majority in this country. This is their demon to kill, as I read somewhere. So I think it's great for all of us to engage and to invest in our community. But I think the primary responsibility lies with the generators, the owners, the stewards of white supremacy. And I think there's not really anything we can do to, to to make the kind of impact that needs to happen. So I still think it's a responsibility that they need to sort of take on and dismantle. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think we certainly need continued support and collective support and certainly by individuals that are not from the black community uh, uh, to actually tackle this problem. And and this has to be a conversation that is addressed systematically and something that we meet periodically to talk about. So, you know, uh, race should be one of those topics that we should be able to, to bring up without feeling like uh, we are crossing, you know, some sort of boundary or line, but to, we need to essentially, you know, expose it in order to actually uh, remedy it and make sure it does not continue to impact anyone adversely uh, moving forward. Because, you know, uh, we, we all, we all, you know, uh, are celebrate diversity. And uh, this is one way to actually lead in. And, and I think until we're able to actually move beyond uh, uh, race, I, I, I think uh, we're always going to be suboptimal just from uh, uh, what we can be as a community and as a society and as a nation. All great points. Um, I agree. I, I think uh, in addition to all those things, throwing our financial muscle where we're able um, behind organizations that are doing great work in terms of uh, police reform in terms of uh, fighting systemic racism um, that's that's something we can also do um, the ACLU NAACP and dozens of other organizations out there that will benefit from financial backing I think that's another way we can help out with this problem and continue to educate our non-black friends um, a couple people out there have said some really insightful things uh for example this comedian hassan minhaj um of course he has his show on netflix and he had an episode that it, that he took time out to outline an argument in favor of his community the brown community uh stepping up to the plate to support um the black lives matter movement he called them out for some of the racist uh tropes and some of the uh, uh, less than admirable aspects of their community and how they interacted, spoke about and addressed black folks and then challenged them to do better. So I, I think that uh, it, it's going to take some of that educating non-black folks and and some people feel like the onus is not on us and, and maybe it isn't 
but I think uh, uh, the only way to really get to where we, we need to be is to is to do some educating and hopefully we can carry some folks along. Absolutely. Uh, did y'all get a chance to watch 846, the uh, special by Dave Chappelle? Yeah, I saw it. It's definitely a special. I wouldn't call it comedy. It was just, it was just Dave talking, man. Uh, he he he's, uh, he's he's uh, he's the goat and, and of our era because uh, he has a way of just conveying uh, the rawness and the emotion felt by millions of uh, uh, blacks and representing it in, in I'd say a digestible format where uh, it's it's readily uh, available for public consumption. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it, it, to, to your point, Mo, uh, it was light on comedy and and heavy on like real real talk. And uh, I appreciated him actually, you know, uh, taking a stance and talking about that. The part that I found really interesting is when you know he said, you know, Don Lemon, you know, called him out for not speaking on this issue, and he said, you know. The streets are going to actually advocate. Uh, the young people are going to go out in mass, and you do not need any celebrities, you know, uh, doing hashtags and you know lighting the fire. And uh, that was powerful because uh, uh, now we're we're seeing people of you know all races and all ages actually in the streets, and that's more powerful than anyone you know. Uh, I'm going to call it influencer, you know, sending you know a tweet and so on and so forth. And, and I, I think when we realize the power belongs to the people and the people realize that it's going to change fundamentally how everything works. I, I'm not sure why we need celebrities to, to give statements on these things. There are certain people who, if they have the history of being involved in these sorts of fights, whose voice, whose uh, opinions are worth it. But, but some others... Don't you, you know, like Tiger Woods gave a statement, Michael Jordan put out a statement. I'm like, it's not like you do this all the time. Like, I just feel like you're putting out a statement because you feel pressure to say something, you know, like those things don't matter to me um, as much as what they actually do, what they throw their money behind. Those are the things that matter more to me. So I appreciate Dave uh, chiming in. I thought it was because of his ability to express himself and to to articulate uh, what people feel, his input was was appreciated. Michael Jordan's statement didn't mean as much to me as as the amount of money he pledged to to fight uh, to fight the battle. So I appreciate the money more. Just my 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 thought. Well, I think we have a culture where celebrities' opinions um, have too much weight. Anyway, right? I mean, how did Trump become president? <laughs> I think his celebrity really helped him there. People thought of him as embodying success on a, on a certain level. And and it's something that in this culture we value a lot, whether the person is reasonable or not. <laughs> Just having fame and money and celebrity alone makes you valuable in people's eyes. And so... I'm not surprised that people would look to celebrities and say, hey, what do you think? Do you want to weigh in? Whether or not that person has good reasoning ability or has a history of being engaged in racial justice initiatives doesn't seem to be quite as relevant. And so 
I think it's just emblematic of the of the culture that we're in, where folks are looking to these people because they, in in some way, define define success or the epitome of success that that we all are striving towards, and so we give their opinions and their perspective more weight than than they deserve. On point. On point. Um, any any additional thoughts? Anything else? Uh we need to discuss with the people i would just say that like my ask to to our allies and our supporters that maybe can't relate to our experience is that you make this effort on your own don't look to black people to educate you or to give you the information there's so much information out there i really need you to just have the initiative to pursue this on your own and not put an additional obligation or an additional effort on us as a as a community that's already taxed and already like very stretched in our emotional resources if you truly care about being an ally about supporting us put in the work and do it on your own well said well said and uh let's certainly keep this conversation going so uh long after uh protests wind down my ask is we continue to revisit this and have uh i'm gonna call it tangible metrics that shows how some of the ideas we're talking about are being implemented and uh changes actually happening well said. Well said. On that note, uh, Simone, as always, uh, it was honestly a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for your input. Um, stay safe. And you're always welcome on the pod, man. Now that you're not traveling the world as much, thank maybe you. we'll have you back pretty soon. Right. Now that I have nothing better to do <laughs> than to hang out on podcasts on the Whimsy, is that sarcasm or not? Uh, I'm yeah. not quite sure. <laughs> at least, you know, at the very least, my FOMO is cured because I know nobody's going nowhere. So I don't even feel bad about what other people are doing because everybody's home. But uh, thank, thanks for joining thanks, the Simone, pod, so much, uh, Simone. Uh, always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Once again, it's the uh, V8 podcast. We appreciate all our listeners. Uh, tell somebody about the show. One love. Black Lives Matter. <laughs>